What's up, everybody? This is the Shakedown Podcast, the NASCAR podcast that breaks boundaries and stirs up controversy. And we are coming off a historic weekend at the Daytona Road Course for the uh, running of the first ever cup race, the first ever NASCAR weekend on the Daytona Road Course. It was jam-packed. We had four races, four incredibly different races in their own ways, and we'll talk about that. Uh, So we'll recap the weekend. We'll look at the top finishers in the cup race Uh, And also take a look at the bubble, the playoff bubble now, see how that looks after this weekend. And I'll give you my key takeaways from the race. I will also give you my power rankings. We're going to start uh, doing power rankings now post-race, so after the weekend. So I'll give you the top 10 drivers in the Cup Series right now. And then some bit of news that broke yesterday morning uh, regarding the next-gen car, some things to look up to. So we will talk about all that. I am your host, Mike Bachman. Thank you guys and gals for being here with me on this Tuesday. Uh, Let's get into it. We have some things to discuss, some stories to talk about coming off of a big weekend at Daytona. So without further ado, wherever you are, however you're listening to this podcast, why don't you relax, kick back, crack open a cold one, and let's get cracking. Let's talk about this. Let's recap Daytona. So let's take a look at the top finishers of the inaugural Daytona road course race, the Gold Bowling 235. It was Chase Elliott who dominated this race and was able to come away with the victory. It was his second win of 2020 and his third straight win on a road course. Chase Elliott, man, uh, was strong all day. And it's kind of what a lot of people have expected. Chase Elliott has kind of morphed into this role of the new road course ringer uh, in the Cup Series. And we saw him up front basically all day. Him and Martin Trex Jr. too was up in the front all day battling. That seems to be a recurring theme in these road course races between Chase Elliott and Martin Trex Jr. But Chase Elliott was able to win stage one secure his sixth stage win of the season, which is uh, tied for the most in the Cup Series, and carrying a lot of momentum with him going into this next week. And he needed this. He, Chase Elliott and that nine team have been running well, but they haven't been up front, really. They haven't been a factor, haven't had that winning speed. And this was a huge weekend, a huge bounce back, uh, hoping to carry this momentum into Dover. But Chase Elliott able to come away with the victory, and we'll see if he can carry carry it over into the weekend at Dover. Denny Hamlin, another second place finish, was challenging Chase there. Denny Hamlin, who won stage two, finishing second. I mentioned Martin Truex Jr. He comes away with another third place finish. It's his fifth straight third place finish. So Martin Truex Jr. up front uh, basically every single weekend at this point. And as I mentioned before, just his experience on road courses and his success on road courses, he was up there, had great speed, a solid top three again for Martin Truex Jr., um, who is definitely finding his mojo. Jimmy Johnson, what a run and what a finish that he needed, a top five. This and the upcoming weekend at Dover is going to be a very important stretch for Jimmy Johnson to try and capitalize on points and try and cut into William Byron's uh, point cushion. In the playoff bubble, we'll talk about that and what it actually looks like 
in just a little bit, but a solid top five for Jimmy Johnson. And then Chris Buescher getting his second top five of 2020, the first coming at the Daytona 500. Great run for him uh, there at the end. Securing a top five. Big run for Roush. They needed that out of him. Clint Boyer is first top 10 in eight races, coming away with a sixth place finish. And then let's talk about Kaz Gralla. Kaz Gralla was filling in for Austin Dillon this weekend, who Austin Dillon tested positive for COVID-19. So Kaz Gralla was the man to step in. And Kaz Gralla coming away with a seventh place finish in his Cup Series debut. And it's not even that he finished in the top 10, but he drove a perfect race. No mistakes, good strategy calls by Justin Alexander atop the box. Kaz Gralla actually led a couple of laps. I mean, an incredible debut there and just a great run filling in for Austin Dillon, uh, especially at a track where we haven't been been to before. Uh, you know, have to have to give some style points there to Kaz Gralla, that three team for adapting and just putting together a clean and perfect race. Great job for that three team. William Byron finishes eighth. Joey Logano, Michael McDowell closing out the top 10. I forgot how good Michael McDowell was on road courses. He did win, I believe it was at Road America a couple years ago at the Xfinity Series. Uh, but Michael McDowell was up at the top five, top three, much of the day. And coming away with the top 10 finish. So good for Front Row Motorsports and good for that team. Just looking down the line a little bit more. Eric Jones, Alex Bowman. Alex Bowman, who had a tire issue early on. Then the race was able to bounce back a little bit. Brad Keselowski. Kurt Busch, who was running top 10 or even top 5 most of the race as well. Matt Benedetto, someone I want to talk about. Because Matt Benedetto was my pick to win this race. Was not close <laughs> uh, to being up there. But he ran top 10 most of the day uh, earlier in stage one and, you know, most of stage two. But I thought this was a big weekend for Matt Benedetto just based on his track record at road courses. He's very strong. And, hell, he ran very strong in the 95 at these road courses last year. So with the elevated equipment at Wood Brothers and the alliance with Penske, just seemed like he was poised for another good run on a road course. Just wasn't there. Um, and unfortunately now finds himself in a, in a closer situation towards the playoff bubble. As a result, he actually lost points this weekend. So an unfortunate run for Matt Benedetto, who I thought was poised to have a solid run. And again, was my pick to win the race, uh, was a bold pick nonetheless, but that's what you got to be. We are bold here on the shakedown podcast. We make, we make ridiculous predictions. Um, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Kevin Harvick is another one that you won't see in the top 10. Um, he snaps his streak of nine straight top five finishes, was running up there, had some contact with Christopher Bell. Well, it wasn't contact. Christopher Bell just ran him over uh, and wasn't able to recover after that, was running second at the time, and then unfortunately had to uh, avoid, cars had to avoid him and just had to wait it out before he could file back in line, get, it, get the car turned around. So an unfortunate turn of, event, turn of events there for Kevin Harvick, but still best driver in the field. Uh, Tyler Reddick, Ryan Newman, Ryan Newman, this was Ryan Newman's first time back at Daytona since the horrific crash in the Daytona 500 came on the radio uh, before the race and thanked all of the workers that basically saved his life on that scary night of the Daytona 500. So that was heartwarming and very touching. And again, it's just incredible that Ryan Newman's even, even in a race car right now. And Ty Dillon, Closes out the top 20. Some notables outside. Bubba Wallace, who I thought was going to have a top 10 finish, 
had some late race contact with Alex Bowman. Uh, seemed to be of, seemed to be caused by Joey Logano just trying to dive into turn one and sticking his nose where there was no hole. Unfortunately, Bubba Wallace got that foreseeing contact. Ultimately, finished twenty fifth. Ryan Blaney again late race bad luck for for this young man once again cannot escape it. It's un it's unreal. Ryan Blaney's got the most stage points out of any driver this year, uh, so he's really riding on all of those points staying in the point spot where he is, but man, it just seems like every week this team is, we're t- we always talk about it, we're always talking about this bad luck that Ryan Blaney has, and then Kyle Busch, Kyle Busch who fired off very strong um, in this race, Kyle Busch too, one of those drivers who raced the Rolex 24, raced it this year, so has the experience on the road course, is more familiar with the track than most other drivers were. Um, does the information necessarily translate to the stock car? No, but he was able to use some information from running the Rolex and some other information, maybe from simulation and whatnot, uh, for the track. But Kyle Busch, again, fired off strong. Unfortunately, was dra- dragging his tires and somewhat had some tire issues. He had a spin. Um, and then bringing out the late race caution with about six to go, which lined up an exciting finish, uh, just wasn't there. And even with that, Kyle Busch bra- uh, broke a brake rotor uh, late in the race as well. So just another bad day for Kyle Busch. Um, I mean, we got three races left in the regular season, and we're at the point where it seems very unlikely that Kyle Busch is going to head into the playoffs with no wins, and right now with only one playoff point. So Kyle Busch at this point is not anywhere close to championship four material. Um, and I would argue that he's on barely scrapping the edge of of uh, round of eight material. At this rate, he's looking like a round of 12 exit just based on how this team is run, based on some of the luck that they find themselves dealing with, um, and just not there. It's really, really crazy because Kyle Busch is defending a championship this year. So three races left to try and make some magic. He's going to have to try and do it this weekend at Dover because he does not have a great track record at Daytona uh, in the 500 or even in the Coke Zero. So Kyle Busch just digging a deeper hole for himself. Those are your top finishers from the road course. We have a pretty mixed bag up there in the top 10, uh, which is great to see. And now let's I'll give you my key takeaways from this race, I want to start off by saying, expect the unexpected. I don't think anybody expected as clean of a race as we got. There was one caution for an on-race incident. Now, granted, yes, there were some smaller incidents with guys spinning out. Uh, didn't warrant, warrant a caution. Uh, but still, the fact that we only had one caution for an incident uh, is pretty remarkable, considering that you had the ARCA race, which... I didn't watch just because it wasn't on television. I didn't have track pass. Um, but ARCA race was the ARCA race. The Xfinity race was all over the place. I watched the first stage of that race, and it was a train wreck. Uh, you know, guys missing corners, spinning out, doing all this, uh, missing the chicanes. And not to say that we didn't see any of that in the Cup Series race because we did see a number of drivers miss chicanes. Um, but the Xfinity race was... Just all over the place. And then the truck race, it was much of the same with the Xfinity race. You know, guys driving basically everywhere, missing missing corners and all these other things. I mean, this proves 
why the best of the best are in the Cup Series because they raced uh, with precision, with maturity, patience, and I think we got a pretty decent race out of it. Now, granted, Chase Elliott dominated and at one point was like over 10 seconds ahead of second place, um, but still, you know, for what we got, it was not a wreck fest. Um, it was a very, very clean race, and guys were able to adapt to the track very quickly. They lucked out with the weather. There was a about 30-minute lightning delay, but no rain at the track. It was going to be interesting to see if rain actually came and guys were going to have to put on rain tires. We were going we were to run this thing in the rain, but uh, no, no precipitation at the track. But still, very clean race. It was, uh, you know, I was in awe basically watching watching these guys go around and just seeing how they would work. It was it was pretty, pretty awesome to see. Uh, speaking of being the best, Chase Elliott is without a doubt the road course ringer of today's Cup Series. He's got three straight road course wins on three different road courses. He's got Watkins Glen, the Charlotte Roval, and now the Daytona road course. I mean, it was like magic watching Chase maneuver through the turns. He was hitting his strides perfectly. Even with pressure with, from Denny Hamlin on that last restart, uh, Chase Elliott known for making late race mistakes, but he was on it and drove a perfect race, uh, especially towards the end. So Chase Elliott is the road course ringer of today's Cup Series race. You can count him in on any road course race. Uh, he, he will most likely be up front. So again, it was a confidence booster that this team needed. And now going into one of his best tracks in Dover, Chase Elliott can really, really establishes himself as a threat down the stretch in the playoffs if he's able to keep up this momentum. So he's not there yet, still a long way to go, but this was exactly what he needed, exactly what a lot of drivers needed, um, a very good run and a great point stay to try and secure more playoff points for the playoffs, but just a perfect race driven by the best road course racer in the Cup Series right now. Uh, one thing that I want to ask, where the hell was the post-race? Race ended. I turned away from the TV for a sec when it, when, it, when it switched over to commercial. And then the news came on, and I had thought that my, my parents had turned the TV, had turned the TV off because the race was over. Uh, but that wasn't the case. They just cut to the news. They cut out. And this is my problem with all this. Why run a race on NBC on prime time and not show the respect for the drivers and fans? I was watching Eric Estep's show the other night, and he was talking about how, like, how can you expect fans to watch when you don't show them some respect in return? Here you have a brand new track being run for the first time, your most popular driver, nonetheless, winning after not winning since the All-Star race, had not really been running up to that team's standards, finally dominates one, wins, and you don't even get a post-race. You don't even get a post-race interview from him. What the hell? That is so wrong. And yes, we had a half-hour weather delay. You know, I'm sure the agenda of all these media companies, it didn't fit. But who the hell wants to watch the news right now and listen to the same shit that makes us all depressed? You know, this is why we have sports. This is why sports is back. It's that escape for all of us, especially... As NASCAR fans, those diehard NASCAR fans that are trying to not focus on all the crap that's happening in the world because we don't want to. We need an escape from that. 
Nobody wants to hear the same shit that's being talked about on the news where we have our favorite sports, not even just NASCAR, but the NBA, uh, the, the NHL playoffs, whatever it is. You know, we want to watch sports because we are sick and tired of the media shoving all this negative, to- negative talk down our throats. And I understand that's what's happening in the world right now. That's what they have, that's what they have to talk about. But the fact that you're not going to show the respect to us fans and to the sport for not showing a post-race is just sad, man. It's sad because this was a huge weekend, a historic weekend, and your most popular driver dominates. We don't even get a post-race interview. It's just crazy, man. It's just crazy. It's sad. Uh, I don't know. That really rubbed me the wrong way. And I didn't appreciate it, but you can't always get what you want, I guess. Uh, but still, not a good look from NBC. Not a good look. Um, how can you expect fans to tune in to want to watch on your network when you're not going to show the respect in return? I don't get it. I do not get it. Um, but I am a fan of the Daytona Road Course, I will say that. You know, the fact that these guys can run as clean of a race as they did with no practice, no qualifying, green flag, and that's it, is pretty remarkable. Um, so I'm a fan of the road course. You know, this is going to be run as the clash race in 2021. Uh, so that'll be exciting. And I hope to see this track in the schedule next year or the following year, whenever it is, I would love to see it back again. Um, it was a success. Yes, it got boring at times, but there were a number of battles mid pack. Um, and I just think that it shakes it up a little bit, you know, it adds a little bit more flavor to the schedule. Road courses, short tracks, that's what we want, that's what we want, so I'm definitely a fan of the Daytona road course. Now, uh, I do want to take a look at the playoff bubble and just the playoff standings after this race. Uh, you know, I mentioned Jimmy Johnson and his his great run capitalizing on stage points and coming away with a fourth place finish. But didn't really do much in terms of the playoff standings because William Byron finishing eighth, also being able to capitalize stage points. Jimmy Johnson only gained one point on William Byron this weekend. And Jim, for Jimmy Johnson fans, uh, you know, it is frustrating because he finally ran a very, very good race, was challenging for the win at the end. Um, and it doesn't show on the playoff grid, but that just shows how tight this is. And guys need to be running top 10, capitalizing on stage points every week. So Jimmy Johnson fans, Eric Jones fans, because Eric Jones is now 35 points behind. Uh, Tyler Reddick is out of of this thing unless he wins. He's 57 points back. So right now it's just Eric Jones and Jimmy Johnson that have a legitimate shot. But it goes to show how close this is. And these next two weeks are going to get crazy because this is a great weekend for, I think, Jimmy Johnson and Eric Jones both Jimmy Johnson, the king of Dover, and Eric Jones, who has a solid track record there, uh, can really do some damage if William Byron slips a little bit. But it just goes to show how close this is. But William Byron, still 25 points to the good. Jimmy Johnson, about 25 points outside. And Eric Jones, 35 points outside. Rest of the drivers, I mentioned Matt Benedetto, who is now only 44 points to the good. Uh, Clint Boyer was able to increase his point cushion with 66 so not much has changed post-Daytona, but now heading into a Dover, a Dover doubleheader weekend, these doubleheaders, we know how important they are to capitalize on race one and race two. So 
Will the narrative change? Will we have a new driver inside the top 16? We'll have to wait and see. Come Dover. But those are my key takeaways. Pretty successful weekend, in my opinion. Uh, I forgot to mention this earlier, but Adam Stern of the Sports Business Journal did tweet out uh, the viewership ratings. Got about 3.2 million viewers of this race this weekend. And unfortunately, 3.2 million people did not get a post-race from NBC. So sorry about that. But enough of that. Enough of that crap. Let's uh, let's move forward because I want to give you my power rankings post-Daytona. Let's, uh, let's give you the top 10 drivers currently in the Cup Series. All right, here are my NASCAR power rankings post-Daytona. Number 10. Number 10, I have Clint Boyer. Clint Boyer sits 66 points above the cutoff line. And I have Clint Boyer in here because of the bubble drivers, he has the most stage points among them, including three stage wins. He's finished in the top 10 in four of the last five Dover races, so this could be another weekend where Clint Boyer capitalizes on stage points, and that's the thing. Mid-race, Boyer's running up front. Again, three stage wins. I think a lot of people forget that, and the most stage points among bubble drivers. I think he's got the 11th most stage points in the Cup Series right now, which is a pretty decent number. But this could be another good weekend for Clint Boyer. He's just got to be able to finish. He's got to be able to find himself at the end. Because, again, this was Clint Boyer's uh, first top 10 in eight races at Daytona. Um, So if he's able to ride that momentum, secure a couple more top 10s, he will be able to solidify himself in the playoffs. Um, But he's just got to be able to finish because he's he's in there mid-pack, securing stage points and whatnot. But he's just not there at the end. Got to find that groove towards the end. So Clint Boyer, number 10. Number nine, I have Kurt Busch. Kurt Busch continues to have consistent speed, but it's just not quite up to par. He was running top three at the road course most of the day, but the finish didn't show for it. He's going to have to ride on that consistency going into this weekend at Dover. He's got three top tens in the last four Dover races. Uh, Again, very, very strong cushion in the playoff bubble. Uh, He has nothing to worry about, I don't think. And Kurt Busch, again, just ride on the consistency that you show every single week. And he'll be able to come away with another good points day. So Kurt Busch at number nine. Number eight, I have Ryan Blaney. Ryan Blaney. um, Bad luck again striking at Daytona. And he's got nothing to look forward to (laughs) at Dover, unfortunately. uh, Just because he does not run well there at all. I mean, all of Team Penske really doesn't run well at Dover. He has two top tens and eight races there. So... Ryan Blaney maybe can find some find some magic at some point in the race, but just based on his track record and based on how things have gone in 2020, with with the speed that this team has, uh, doesn't seem like it's going to be an eventful weekend. So Ryan Blaney at this rate, locked into the playoffs. Again, the lack of playoff points, despite the speed that he has, is not going to reflect well when the playoffs start with guys like Kevin Harvick, Denny Hamlin, who have racked up playoff points so it's unfortunate but that's just hey skills half of it luck is luck is definitely a big part of it as well and Ryan Blaney doesn't have any of that right now number seven is Joey Logano his Penske teammate had a solid top 10 at the road course but doesn't really have the success to follow up at Dover could be a factor uh, late race but Joey Logano just does not run well at Dover as I said pretty much all team Penske does not really run well at Dover, but he still sits in the top 10 at number seven, uh, just based on his consistency. Number six is Eric Almirola. Yes, Eric Almirola did not have the success at the road course, but he continues to be very consistent. 
You know, consistency will get you a long way in today's Cup Series. The way he's run this year, he has an opportunity to clean up even more at Dover. Uh, finish outside the top 10 the past couple of races there, but just based on how he has run this year and the speed that that 10 team has, have, has had to be able to run inside the top 10, Eric Almirola can rack up on some stage points this weekend as well. And who knows, maybe be there towards the towards the end of the race if, if the cards play out right. But Eric Almirola still, the speed is there, and he barely cracks the top five in my power rankings. Number five is Brad Keselowski who is the only Penske driver to, with a win at Dover. And similar to Al Marola, with the way that he's run this year, he could be fast at Dover. Um, you know, the Penske drivers don't have a great track record, but Brad Keselowski is definitely the most uh, experienced and the best Penske driver at Dover. So again, with the speed that he has brought to tracks every single week, could have an opportunity uh, to run up front and who knows, maybe challenge for the win there at the end. Chase Elliott, number four, again, carrying great momentum into one of his best tracks at Dover. Six top fives in eight Dover races. Uh, so Chase Elliott, again, could be a threat this weekend, could have another strong, strong race. It could be huge for this nine team heading into the playoffs with the final race of the regular season being at Daytona, the the, ro- the, uh, the Oval, excuse me. Um, so if he can really secure stage points uh, and also play, playoff points here at Dover, maybe even a win. Could be another big weekend for this nine team, so we'll see how things play out. But Chase Elliott riding great momentum. He comes in at number four. Number three is Martin Truex Jr., and it goes without question that he's number three because he's got five straight top three finishes. That is his that is his go-to number right now. But Martin Truex Jr. won this race last year. He's got the best average finish amongst active drivers at Dover. So expect Martin Truex to be a factor at Dover. Similar to Chase Elliott, uh, where he can really come away with some more playoff points and try and secure another win to uh, have a better shot of contending with Harvick and Hamlin with extra playoff points down the stretch in the playoffs. And then, of course, your 1-2, two two being Denny Hamlin and one being Kevin Harvick. Despite the results at the road course, Kevin Harvick, I believe, remains the most dominant driver. He's finished top five. Uh, in both Dover races last year, so he's going to be a threat once again this weekend, and so will Denny Hamlin. He has yet to win at Dover, but six top tens in the last eight Dover races, and he led the most laps here last year. So Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin uh, both will be a factor. They are a factor every single weekend, so expect these drivers to be at the front. But those are my power rankings. Kevin Harvick coming in at number one. It's going to be a big weekend for a lot of drivers, especially with the Daytona Oval lurking. Guys want to be sure that they have a big enough cushion. God forbid, you know, lightning strikes at Daytona uh, in a couple of weeks. So those are my power rankings. Uh, Let's now jump into a little bit of news that was broke yesterday morning regarding the next-gen car. So it was reported Monday morning Uh, that NASCAR is resuming next-gen testing at Dover next week. Competition officials confirm that Cole Custer will be testing the car. Cole Custer, obviously, Sunoco Rookie of the Year contender, driver of the number 41 Stuart Haas Racing Ford Mustang. This is the second test on a one-mile track. Joey Logano tested Phoenix earlier on, and obviously two different tracks, you know, Dover being a fast, high-banked, concrete, one-mile track, Phoenix being... Obviously, a more flat, uh, interesting track, I would call it. 
uh, Dover more, much more straightforward. And this is the first test of the next-gen car since the COVID-19 pandemic has struck. Clint Boyer was supposed to test the car, but that unfortunately got canceled uh, due to COVID-19. Uh, and it was also announced in April that the next-gen car debut would be pushed back to 2022. It was originally supposed to debut next season in 2021, but it will now debut in 2022. William Byron last tested the car at Auto Club in early March. Now, if you guys forget the details of the next-gen car, I'll just lay it out for you right here. It will feature an 18-inch wheel with a single-center locking lug nut that had fans up in arms. And I'll just say this. If you're a fan that was so fed up with this that it warrants you to stop watching the sport just because it had the cars have one lug nut is laughable. It's laughable. You shouldn't be watching the sport to begin with if that is such a important aspect to you of the entire sport of NASCAR. You shouldn't be watching to begin with. So I'll just say that because I heard so many people that were so fed up with this change that they, that they were literally saying that they were going to boycott the sport of NASCAR. Like, get the hell out of here, dude. It's one small change. It's a friggin' wheel, okay? Get over it. Even with the, uh, I'll just say this, uh, with the All-Star race and, and the numbers getting pushed back, you don't barely, you barely even notice it when cars are on the track, dude. Let it go. Come on. It's cosmetic changes. Um, and especially with this 18-inch wheel, they need one lug to be able to secure it to the car. You know, those six uh, smaller lugs are not going to do the job. They need the one locking lug. So that's what they have to do. Deal with it, okay? It's a, it's a friggin' tire. Uh, shouldn't really carry that much weight, I don't think, as a fan of the sport. But that's just me. That's my opinion. A lot of people are going to react differently. Um, it also features a new body design to reflect the quote-unquote stock car, you know, Another thing that have fans up in arms, you know, these cars are not quote-unquote stock. Well, if they were stock, they would not be safe for these drivers to ride to 200 miles an hour around ovals. Uh, it's a safety factor that they have to build these cars a certain way. So they're trying to make it more off the showroom, the way that the body looks. But it's not going to be like it was in the 80s. Back in the 80s, it was not really that safe. And now we have seen this year certain situations and you know, the risk factor in this sport has to be safe for drivers. So that is just a factor of it, okay? Uh, it will also feature a shorter rear spoiler, a race splitter, and larger brakes. Again, reflecting a more stock car, quote-unquote stock car. And so far, based on previous tests, we have heard positive reviews. Uh, drivers want something that's challenging. They don't want something that's easiest something that's going to be cookie cutter. They want to be challenged, and they want something that's going to showcase the best drivers and the best teams, which it should. Again, these next-gen cars will also come with a spec chassis, so it will level the playing field a little bit, but you still will be able to see better teams prevail just because teams that have better engine programs, uh, just better internal building programs, uh, they will prevail, even though we will have a spec chassis. Uh, and... Just going off of driver feedback, driver feedback is very important. We've seen lots of young drivers test these cars. We've seen Eric Jones, Austin Dillon, William Byron, you know, guys that are barely winning races. And now Cole Custer, a rookie, you know, I respect drivers that are outspoken about the sport. Guys like Brad Keselowski, Kyle Busch, who have lots to say about 
the direction the sport is heading. Kyle Busch has been extremely outspoken about the current aero package and the current car that NASCAR has in the Cup Series. Brad Keselowski is just another driver that is always trying to talk about the sport and the direction that it's going, provide feedback that he believes uh, will make the sport better. And I can really appreciate that and respect that. So why not get these drivers to test and get that candid, honest opinion from drivers that are proven champions, first of all, and that are winning races every single year. Eric Jones is not winning races every single year. Austin Dillon is not winning races every single year. William Byron has not won a race yet in his career. And Cole Custer, yes, won at Kentucky, but he's a rookie. And I'm not saying that their feedback is not going to do the job, because I'm sure that they're giving great feedback. They are Cup Series drivers. They're worthy of that. I just wish that, and I would think that NASCAR would want drivers like Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, drivers that are outspoken about the sport, to test the cars so that they are getting real-time and honest and experienced feedback. You know what I'm saying? Um, maybe it's a, logistic, a logistics issue. Maybe the drivers aren't available or they don't, they don't want to do it. I don't know. But either way, it's great to see the next-gen testing resume because a lot will be riding on this new car. There's a lot of anticipation coming behind it, especially after this crap aero package that we've been running the past couple of years. Um, so there's a lot riding on this next-gen car. It's kind of ushering that new era of NASCAR. And maybe that's why NASCAR has these young drivers testing these cars because they are, quote-unquote, the future. Joey Logano did test too, and you know we consider Joey Logano older, but Joey, Joey Logano is still very, very young. He is a, he is a proven champion, uh, so it was nice to see him running running the test, uh, but maybe this is what NASCAR wants. They want the future uh, testing, the future, you know what I mean? So uh, interesting to see, you know, if it's me, I would like to see drivers with more experience um, and drivers that are typically typically outspoken, whether it's for the right reasons or for the wrong reasons to provide that information for NASCAR about the cars. But nonetheless, great to see the next-gen car testing. And again, a lot of anticipation surrounding this, this debut. So that will come in 2022. And testing at Dover will begin uh, next Monday and Tuesday with Cole Custer behind the wheels. So hopefully we'll be able to see that car on track, what it looks like in action and get some more updates on what it's looking like. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it here for episode seven. Lucky number seven of the Shakedown podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, you can follow this podcast on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at Shakedown underscore pod. You could also follow me on Twitter, at MV Bachman. That's B-A-C-H-M-A-N-N. If you want to continue the conversation over there, I will be back on Friday. I will be moving into my new place on Friday, which is super exciting. I'm going to set up the studio uh, and hopefully launch the YouTube channel next week. So be on the lookout for that. And I will be back for an episode on Friday. We'll have an episode up uh, previewing the Dover doubleheader and recapping any news that breaks later this week. So we're starting to see a lot of drivers unveil their Darlington throwback schemes. I definitely want to react to those at some point. Uh, and who knows, maybe we'll start to hear a little more of Silly Season come out uh, this week. Who knows? Um, but we will cover it all on Friday. Thank you guys so much once again. Be sure to follow me on social media. Enjoy the rest of your week, and I will see you on Friday. Take it easy. Mm-hmm.